I'll leave you with this with Dustin Chafin. Thank you for listening. I'll leave you with this. Please subscribe to our Patreon page. You can uh, hear all kinds of extras with uh, T.J. Miller on the road and hell gig stories and behind the scenes of a comedy club in Manhattan. So please support that. I could really use your support. So if you like this podcast, please uh, sign up for Patreon page. It's only like two bucks, and you can really kind of uh, get some extra stuff that I want to try to add. It's even getting better and better each week. So please support us, and uh, I'll give back, I promise. <laughs> Where were you last? You were cool? Um, in, uh, I was in Sleepy Hollow, New York. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, right at the train station. It was pretty cool. There was a, uh, a storytelling show. Oh, wow. And it was in this old, like, 1800s building, and it was just great. It couldn't have been cooler, and the sunset was in the you know background. And, oh, phenomenal. And the, the audience was into it, and that's always a good thing. And Yeah? Yeah, and I had worked with two comedians who I hadn't seen in decades. Okay. Or so, and so that was pretty good. Yeah, that's funny. It's it's funny. It's like it takes. I always say it takes a podcast for people to actually have a real conversation. Comedians, right? Yeah, right. Because <laughs> we don't right. like. I have seen you over the years, but I haven't like you know really had enough time with you. Like I feel like I I you know I, I miss things like like I'd love to talk to more comics, but we're just so busy. We don't you know we don't really right. go we're, for coffee. You know, there's a few of us spot to spot. Yeah, I mean, I saw it's you tough. at Dangerfields like a month ago. Yeah, it's like a we second. talked for you know seven seconds. And, yeah, but it was good. Yeah, that was fun. It's always good. <clears throat> uh, I, I thought of that. I got it's funny. I uh, yeah, I saw you the last time I saw you was the Boston Comedy Festival. We spent a minute together. That yeah, was nice. Right. You know, festival's always good. There's always some downtime. You know, you're waiting on the appetizers they're bringing out, or, <laughs> yeah. or somebody's going to win the contest, or whatever it is. So there's always that downtime to kind of be like, hey, what have you been doing? You're just standing next to each other for a certain amount of time. Yeah, that, I think that's yeah. the key for comedy festivals is that people who, if you headline and you, you know, there's all these clubs going on, you those headliners you don't hang out with because they're in some other club yeah. headlining. Everybody's but working. at the festival, it's a bunch of yeah. your peers and you haven't seen or hung out with or whatever. So I, gonna, I love that. Was, one thing I like about you, a lot of things I like about you. Um, well, well, one thing, you got me into juicing. I didn't know if you knew that. Ah, I didn't know that, yeah. <laughs> I juiced before I came here. <laughs> it's great. No, yeah, I remember. That's one of the, definitely one of the silly things. But it's, no, it was good. It's like you, I think you did a whole like uh, kind of a Facebook, kind of like a day-to-day kind of thing, and, and you look great, and I think it definitely changed your whole health, you know, and it all did. that stuff. The problem was is when I first did it and I found out the truth about health and food and all the yeah. stuff and how much we were lied to, I was so angry. Oh, really? I really was angry. I, you know, I mean, we've been lied to our whole lives, sure, in so many ways, and still to this day lied to. In fact, I'm lying to you now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot about lying. I, um, so I was angry, and I really went off on it, and was really, you know, standing on the mountaintop and yelling and screaming. <laughs> and it wasn't. I wasn't getting really the message across. Although uh, you got really, one juicer here. So yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> and also, I got a incredible email that I'll never forget from some woman who says, you don't know me or my family, but I read what you were talking about, and you helped my mom beat cancer. Oh, my goodness. And that's that, amazing. You know, there you go. Yeah, I'm, I'm done. You know, I don't, Drop I'm the good. mic. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. And I did. <laughs> <clears throat> that's that's my issue. I can't hold on to a mic. Yeah, slippery fingers. <clears throat> and uh, But anyway, so then, <laughs> so then, you know, and the way the world's set up, it's not conducive to being healthy in fact it's, it's conducive not. to really being unhealthy and that's the w- and in order for people to make a lot of money and to have success there's got to be an unhealthy world sure uh happiness is not doesn't go hand in hand unless money is your end game yeah um but anyway so 
I started putting weight back on, started being unhealthy again. And then when I decided, what am I doing? You know, I know better. I got back in, but I'm not heavy-handed anymore. I'm not yelling or screaming. I'm just doing it. And if yeah. someone asks me, how come you look that much better, I'll be happy to explain it to them. It, yeah, it's it's amazing to me. Like, I have an um, app on my phone, and it's... Uh... It's a water app, and it tells really? me how often, like, it'll just remind me to drink water. And I think we're, it's such a funny thing, like, humans, like, we're the only, like, species that we have to force ourselves to drink the thing that keeps us alive. Right, <laughs> which is odd. And there's water all around us. Right. And it's in everywhere. our bodies. And we have to, but literally, we have to force ourselves to, you know, it's the one thing that'll help a, a lot of things in your health. Like, yeah. it's just, it's a very important thing, but we just, you know. And it's hard Don't to drink to do the, it. the amount of water that we're supposed to. Oh, yeah. Because the other part that I learned was that when you eat food, you shouldn't drink at the same time because mm. it dilutes the enzymes. I've heard or that, the, yeah. What it, not the enzymes or whatever it dilutes. Yeah. Um, it dilutes Minnesota. That's what it does. <laughs> and uh, you know, what it does is it, it dilutes the enzymes. It does. Okay. As you're trying to... Uh, so you, do you have to you should, should wait a certain should, amount of time? eat and then when you're done... You know, drink. But we're okay. we're used to drinking and eating. You know, a lot of people have wine with their dinner, yeah. and um, they bring the water first. Yeah, yeah. And, the, and and you know what? It's okay. It's not going to kill you. But the best possible scenario is for you to wait after you eat for a little bit to then drink. Let your body do all the work that Let it, it needs absorb to do. it. Okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard that, but I just don't think to do it. So it makes it harder if you're having a schedule, and especially like comedian schedule, oh, yeah. to be able to drink and keep up with the drinking and and you know, well, not the the drinking. That's a different story. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I had drinking. to give that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> but I enjoyed it when I did it. Oh, me too. And I'm glad that I'm alive. I'm not preachy about it, but <laughs> yeah, I, I enjoyed it too. But Every moment. I had to slow down a little. I yeah. got a little too crazy. Yeah, there might be a couple of moments that I didn't enjoy, but <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't know better, so and I didn't remember. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, it's tough. But but the thing is, just being a comedian in general, like I get angry that there's not a lot of fast food, healthy fast food options. You know what I mean? Right. It's just like, you're on the road, a Wendy's is so easy or whatever. It's just easy. Yeah. You just go in, you get a number two, you're out, you're back in the car, whatever. It's like, there's you know, there's no veggie hut, you know, yeah. over by the well, thing. Well, in New York City, we're lucky because there are some sort of kind veggie Kind of, huts. but it's still not as convenient. Like my moons now, you know, okay, is, is yeah. great. And That's they a good have option. Vegetable options and yeah. vegetarian. And they're delicious. You know, they sure, have always sure. had great food. Yeah, it is be- definitely better in New York. Yeah. But it, but you got to seek it out sometimes. You yeah. Know? If you're in Midtown or somewhere, like you got to, you know, you have to find it. Where I feel like, you know, bad options are everywhere. Right. And also, again, it's, it's the world is set up so that being healthy, you're called a health nut. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's exactly. supposed to, you know, you're not, you're taking care of yourself. You're a nut. What yeah. are you thinking about? Yeah, vegetarian. It's a political stance. You yeah, know what I mean? like it's a whole thing. Yeah. Um, do you do you use a microwave? Uh, no, not anymore. Oh, well, you know, I had so that's the hardest one for me. The the thing was is there was a guy named Doctor John Upledger who I had met who was he's I've met a few wizards in my life and he's one of them. It's <laughs> great, magical <laughs> magical man, and he created craniosacral therapy. Oh my god! Okay, and, I don't know what that is. Or at least you know it's uh, it's this freakish, fantastic thing. Helped my mother to live longer. Oh, great. It was amazing stuff, and helped me to walk better and get rid of sciatica and all this kind of stuff. Him and I became friends, and he told me about how the microwave changes the DNA. 
DNA in the food. Okay. So, you know, it was like, okay. And I had a microwave at the time, and I gave it away to someone I didn't like. And uh, no, I, I actually. <laughs> you raffled it off at a show. Yeah, actually, I won it in a raffle. Weirdly enough, I did. did My really? nephew was in school, and I was like, you know, whatever, here's $6 for five tickets. And I won. I'm like, oh my God, what did I win? And a microwave. And at that time, I was like, oh, I, I need one. Yeah, and yeah, it was, yeah. So it's funny that you would say raffle. <laughs> yeah. I'm a comic. I've, done, I've followed a lot of raffles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay, now that you guys have raffled. The weirdest thing to follow is the blowjob. One time, what? the comedy team of Zito and Bean, uh, from Boston, or actually from Pittsburgh, yeah. they had a, you know, they had to follow a blowjob, and there was this, this bachelor party, and this guy's oh. getting a blowjob on oh stage, and the crowd's going, come, come, oh come. First of all, how can you come when someone's yelling, come, come, come? Oh, yeah. So this guy has his orgasm, and they, oh, everyone applauds. Well, I say and, it to my girlfriend all the time. She has a heart. <laughs> yeah, she, she she, she, and she doesn't applaud. That's the difference. So, and, you know, and then these guys are like looking like, what gig is this? And how come we're not making thousands more dollars? And they go, okay, that was great. That was Billy and he had an orgasm. Uh, but now, ladies and gentlemen, the comedy of Seal and Bean. It's like, oh, my God. You know. <laughs> It's like follow that. Uh, oh, that's so crazy! I, you know, I've heard so many crazy stories that comics have had to do. That is, that's definitely the top. My goodness, yeah, that, I think I you think can top that. One, no. Yeah, because I've heard like uh, who was that comic? Uh, I forget his name, Billy something. He was in that Dustin Hoffman movie. Oh, Billy J. Billy J. Yeah, yeah, he told me he he did a thing where he had to like in between the boxing matches, and I always thought that was crazy. Like, yeah, in between the matches, like he would like do stand up, and then they bring up another bout and that kind of thing. But that's <laughs> but following a blowjob. Yeah, that's, that's, that's. I'd the, rather follow you know the welterweight you know police easily. champion. Yeah. yeah, that's crazy. That's just such a weird art form. Yeah, you know what I mean, like I performed. I remember. <laughs> remember Smart Food. I don't know if they're still around, but they were like, you know, healthy, not healthy food. Yeah. Uh, it was, you know, any time it's, you know, p- packaged in a certain way or processed, which, but they were supposedly healthier. I yeah. don't know if they're still around. I don't know if they're about to sue me. But they, uh, <laughs> but they were very nice people, and they hired me, and they paid me money, and yeah. the check cleared. But they had me standing on top of their van or, like, this <laughs> truck, you know, and I'm a big guy, or I was very big at the time, and I had to climb up on top of this truck, and, <laughs> and everyone's sitting there having their lunch and uh, on outside, and I'm standing, hopefully not falling, not moving, you know. That was, that was, that was a pretty crazy one. <laughs> But I, you know, I had a good time. They were a great crowd, and uh, yeah, you I didn't paid. Yeah, you I got, got paid. paid. It cleared. They gave me some smart food, which was go. actually delicious. Yeah. But I don't know. I didn't know much about food back then. Oh my gosh! Well, that's funny. Yeah, well, you know, yeah, I might have to get rid of the microwave. You know, I feel like uh, you, uh, yeah, you've inspired me with the juicing things, so and now I'm like, you know, maybe I should get rid of the microwave. Yeah. Well, that's just you know, just the idea of it feels unhealthy, but you just it's so like convenient. it's so cultural and, yeah, and, and, right. and convenient. Like yeah. we grew up. I remember our our family was a big deal. We were one of the first families to have the microwave. I'm mm. coming over, and it was huge too back then. It was, right. They were gigantic, and it was like an RCA color TV kind of <laughs> size. It was huge, and I remember people coming over like, oh, you like put a thing in it and like the, a potato, and like it was this huge, this instant thing that cooked things automatically. It was so crazy. And even the lousiest hotels that we would stay in as comics would have yeah. a microwave so oh sure you can make popcorn in the middle of the night or yeah. you know whatever and it was always as a comic nothing was open when you're done with your yeah. show so you grab microwave stuff from the gas station mart and bring it to the room and it worked you it, think it's hurting popcorn <laughs> no i don't think so right that's, I, that's you know, probably fine right i think so i'm guessing but <laughs> I would uh, hope yeah yeah you know what i mean i yeah. think it's probably not good for broccoli or something but right it, it can't be that you know but but maybe 
Because like with broccoli, though, I'll put it in a uh, put a little bit of water in a Ziploc, and then but the, right. the plastic probably is the plastic seeping is, in. That's the yeah. The, look, as you can't we drink win. Plastic out of the exactly. Hey, what are you gonna yeah. do? Yeah. And it's, they have these little numbers on the bottom of the. Right? What is it? it? Let's see. You it see gives the number you a date. one. It tells you when the plastic is going bad, right? Uh, well, there's a, a triangle, and underneath is the number one, which means well, Evian's pretty solid, so yeah. I bet they're on top of it. But then, if, if it was like a two or a bigger number, it'd be yeah. a, a better bottle. But what happens? One means you should. It's. It doesn't mean <laughs> one. It's just one of the. There's like a one through five chart. Okay. And the one means you should. Once you drink this bottle, you should never reuse it. Oh, wow. Right, because the plastic already – the minute you open up and the oxygen gets in, plastic leaches into the water. So now we're drinking plastic anyway. Um, But you should never drink it again because the bottle – So don't use the water as a a water bottle. Right. Okay, the water bottle as a water – you know what I mean. I don't know. (laughs) What are you talking about? (laughs) You you fill it up again? Okay, don't fill it up again. There's too many rules, but uh, I know some of them. (laughs) Well, I love you. I adore you. I think you're like one of the true gems in the stand-up comedy world. And it's funny because it's like oftentimes I'll think to myself as like, hey, nobody does as much as me as in comedy. You know, I'll think like, yeah, it's like I run a club. I, I mentor comics. I, you know, I perform on the road. I do all stuff. And then, and then I'll just like, you know, think about you. And then I remember all the things you do and have done. And it's like so many aspects of the business. Because I love it. Yeah. No, it's great. I and love I love it, it too. And yeah. a guy like you is so inspiring to me because you've done just everything. Everything in comedy you can think of, like, yeah. the, like this. It's funny. There's, you know, it's like I don't know. Like a, Moby was on, you know, Bill Maher the other night. I saw that. Yeah, and I thought it reminded me of a guy that does a bunch of different things, and right. you know, and it's just like I'm not trying to call you the Moby of comedy. But, good. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> no, I, I've Maybe never I, met him. I think you know some of the things he's that was done funny on that. He was funny he was on that. Really hilarious. That was great. I was yeah. shocked. <laughs> I had no idea what he was like. Yeah. I knew that he was into the sort of healthier foods and yeah. the vegan. Yeah, he yeah. has a place on Seventh Street, I think. Yeah, a that's restaurant. Cool. Yeah. Um, but he he was willing to to you know do whatever it took to get a laugh. And the he, penis thing on the Trump yeah, was hilarious. It he was very funny. Yeah, that was the every time they would switch back to the. He got that, creepy, yeah. funny, and it was really fun <laughs> to know that he was willing to do that. Yeah, because in comedy got, you yeah. want to be willing to do whatever it takes to to get the laugh and, and with integrity. Yeah, and he was able to pull and that off. The segment was creepy. Yeah, that, that whispering was. thing they're doing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> whatever that is. Yeah. ASPR. It's funny. I just I don't know what kind of trends catch on, but. I'm sure that'll be a podcast soon where everybody just they just talk and whisper. Yeah, I, I've seen that uh, where they do that. It's ASMC or I don't know what they call it. Yeah, we're doing. We just five people just had an orgasm. ASR ASMR, I think. Yeah, ASMR. Yeah, as Mister. Yeah, it's like it's definitely like you know sounds that stimulate people and like whispering. Those works. I don't know, whatever works, you never know. But anyway, back to you, because you're fun yeah. and great. And um, you were one of the first comics that I saw, I think, um, back, um, I forget where it was. It might have been Stant, New York, mm-hmm. and you were on stage, and you had the blazer. That's the thing about you, you're always just so professional. And I, it's like one of the, you're just like, you're dead on, you're perfect, you'd like kill it. And I remember watching you, and you you know, a bit about the weather and the thing, and it was just so funny. You know, you were just like tight, and that's when... I watched you, and I learned that, you know, it's like you have to zero in on this. You can't just, like, it's not this, like, you know, you see people, it's just like they don't take it as serious, you know, with the, with the mm-hmm. bits. They're just talking into a microphone, and, like, like, you really kind of craft your bits. And it was like, you know, it helped me figure that out, watching somebody like you. Yeah, and I learned that crush. from watching other people. You know, yeah. Like I worked on the road for years and years yeah. and years and lived with Robert Schimmel, oh, and he, you know, 
he talked to me about how to dress and he talked to me about how to respect the audience yeah, and, and bring great. the integrity and to, to keep working the joke and, and performing it as, as one yeah. part of it. And there's so many parts of it. And also writing and rewriting and crafting and recrafting. And yeah, so, so that really helped me like crazy. Plus, he got me a lot of stage time yeah. that I might have not got without him or most likely would have gotten without him. So I learned from others. I had, you know, I have a, uh, a name drop list of incredible people who yeah. have you know, went out of their way. Joan Rivers helped me with my very first Letterman set, as did David oh, Brenner. So, I, I mean, the, <laughs> so the Joan great. Rivers uh, story so cool. is incredible. Please she, tell me. I was, one time at Stand Up New York, we, it was a show with, I remember it was Judy Gold and I and uh, a couple other comics, and after the show, in the back of the room, there was Joan Rivers. She had watched the show. <sighs> she had finished what she, ever, she had done, her show, <laughs> came in the back, and yeah. we all sat there with her for over an hour, <sighs> Just That's telling stories. Phenomenal. And she was as interested in our stories as we yeah. were in her. She wouldn't – she kept asking us questions. She was just one of us, you oh, know, one of the comedians. Yeah. Years later – and I never forgot that, of course. Sure. Uh, it was such a beautiful moment. She's so oh. funny and so down to earth. Oh, yeah. And Legend. then years, years later, I was at the airport in Milwaukee. It was about a week and a half before I was doing my first set on Letterman. And there she was at the – way she had done a show at a big theater. I'd done the Comedy Cafe, which is a great club. And I was wondering, can I go up to her or whatever? And I said, you know what? She was so nice. Let me just thank her. So I did. I, I thanked her. I just said, look, we met at the comedy club. And Rhonda Handsome was another comedian who was out working with us. I said, all, all of us have never stopped talking about how wonderful you were to us. And she goes, oh, don't worry about it. I'm a comic like you, and I love chatting with comics. And I said, I, I'm doing my first Letterman session. She said, oh, that's fantastic. And you know, I just, we shook each other's hand and I went back and now I went on People's Express, it was the name, I think that was the name of it, it was a, no, it wasn't that, it was another name, it was an airline where all the seats were first class. Okay. And it was the one, Midwest Express and it would go from Milwaukee to New York City. Um, so I'm sitting in my seat and the plane takes off and uh, during the flight she gets up and asks the person next to me to switch seats with her. <laughs> uh, and so the person says sure it's Joan and, Rivers yeah yeah and Joan sits next to me and says all right let me hear the set oh my goodness so here I am oh my goodness performing oh, you know in a sense for Joan life. and amazing. she gave me some great advice including you know about how to pause and how to take you know how to uh, the nonverbal communication parts of stand up that yeah. are as important Central. or if not important more important and she uh, she really helped me and when I did the set uh, I look back at it now and I'm like oh boy I still rushed. But I, I, right. I, she really helped me, and she was yeah. in my head during the, the set. I remembered, I had a, like an inner smile, knowing that Joan Rivers had helped me with this laugh that had come up, wow. and she was really great. Years and years later, after that, I was at on the on the set of Saturday Night Live, uh, I guess eight H or six H or whatever that at NBC Studios. Yeah, I was hosting a an event for New York Magazine or New Yorker, something like that. Yeah, uh, it had a, a new new in it, and. Uh, and I and it was a party. It was all celebrities, and it was really fun. And every time someone came in late, I'd give them a little shit, and and the audience loved it, but in a very playful way. In fact, and people were really into it. They wanted people to come in late because they wanted me to to do that. And yeah. I think people would get up and come back to just to do it, um, <clears throat> just to say, you know, oh, I want to hear what he's going to say when I come in. Well, Joan Rivers came in kind of very late, and they were ready to really for me to lambaste her, to okay. really give it to her. And I told the audience, I said, no, I'm not going to give 
Joan any shit because I and I told her the story how she helped me with my first Letterman set and the audience stood and gave her a standing ovation <laughs> and it was so powerful that moment and yeah. she was so thankful and you know it was a it really was a great turnaround how it all worked out and she was so loving and lovely and after which she gave me a big hug and you know so I've been blessed I mean that's just one of many incredible people who've taken their stopped and taken their time to help me when I was a young comic so I always vowed to be the same kind of person that pays it forward because I know how incredible it was for me. Yeah, no, it's amazing. It's that, you know, a lot of a lot of people don't don't have that, you know what I mean? That's not inside of them. And so to find somebody like you that does that and you know, and you've you know, you you were the first person um like I remember at the Bagot Inn, uh, mm-hmm. the, the Boston Comedy Club, like that, you know, the begin- beginnings of that. Yeah, I started is, that club in yeah. 1984. It was called the Paper Moon. It was Paper the Moon, that's right, downstairs. And um, at the time, it was very clicky. Uh, all the other clubs in New York that were great, like yeah. um, before Stand Up New York, it was Catch a Rising Star and the comic strip were the main ones, Dangerfields. Yeah. Um, it was mostly New York comics, and it was... Um, that was what was going on. Unless you were a really big star like Robin Williams would come in. or, But you couldn't really get stage time in New York if you were one of these great Boston, Chicago, L.A., San Francisco comics, um, Austin, Denver, all those people that I had met on the road. So I started a comedy club in 84 with the help of Colin Quinn, the two of us. Wow. Uh, and we made it com- comic friendly. And we, ha- we we hired a lighting sound guy and... We just really made it great. We built a room in the basement for the comedians to be able to hang out, and and I paid more than the other clubs. Okay. And if we made more money, I gave people more money because I'm a comic running a comedy club, and what would I want if I was a comic? So it became a really popular place for comedians and gave a lot of people there. Like Wendy Liebman's very first spot ever in New York was there, and Susie Essman would come in, and you know Dennis Miller when he was working on Saturday Night Live would come in uh, to, to do spots. So it was really a great venue. And then eventually they moved it upstairs because yes. the owners got a little greedy. They wanted to put music downstairs. Uh, and it was sucky because the music was coming up through the floor while the comedy show was going on, but the, the owners didn't really care. No, they didn't. And then I had kind of moved and, and was in the shimmel days of living in half the time in L.A. And uh, it was just getting too much for me to... Uh, to book this club, live half the time in L.A., and I gave it up to Rick Messina, who was a a comedy club owner in a booker in Long Island, and then he decided not to do it because he was going to move to L.A. and become a manager, and then I gave Barry Katz the club, and Barry took it and made it the Boston Comedy Club. Yeah, it's funny how you were the first person, and I was the last person to run it as the Boston Comedy Club. Right, that's right, (laughs) yeah. And there was a lot of people in between, Gina Savage. <laughs> oh, and, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, on and on and on. Uh, what's his name? Jason Steinberg. Uh, Jason Steinberg, the Steinbergs. And, yeah. Um, I forget who else. There's a couple other people. A couple other people. Yeah. Um, Masavio? Masavio. I forget his Masavia. name. Masavia. Masavia. Yeah. It. Who yeah. just, I just texted, we texted for the first time. Out of the blue, I got a text from him the other day. Really? What a great guy. Yeah. And he yeah. was just like, I was just thinking of you. I go, oh, you're the greatest. And <laughs> it's really nice when that happens every once in a while. Oh, yeah. Well, Mo. That, yeah, that I mean, that place is a lot of you know created a lot of magic, and I feel like it it doesn't really get a lot of the props that maybe some of the other clubs get in New York. You mm-hmm. know, the Boston Comedy Club. Well, people don't know. It, yeah, and that's uh, that's all right. The Comedy Cellar was really the only competition I had in the neighborhood. Sure, and but they were they were fine to me. You know, uh, yeah, it, it was fine. We didn't take, and they were always popular and sold out. So yeah, you know, we only sat about 120 people. 
And but after it became popular and the comics were great, and I was bringing in all these incredible comics, yeah, you know, from L.A. and you know Monica Piper and Jake Johansson and John Mendoza and yeah. Bobcat Goldthwait and Paula Poundstone. They were all coming in and doing sets. So now, although the New York comedy clubs were great, Catch a Rising Star was amazing. The comic strip in those days were amazing. Um, gave aud- aud- New York audiences a chance to see some of these other comics. Yeah, no, it was great. And you've, I mean, you've been involved in so many things. And uh, so when did you start doing warm up? Like, when did that happen? Um, I moved. I moved out to LA in eighty. Let's see, eighty six. At the end of eighty six, beginning of eighty seven. And uh, I went to college in Boston at Emerson. And a gentleman who was a college mate uh, called me up and said, "I have a." A job as the warm-up comic for Saved by the Bell was the show, <laughs> and uh, it was a thousand dollars to do it. Yeah, and in those days, the big money was thirty-five bucks a set, and you'd make twenty-five during the week, but thirty-five yeah. on Saturday. And I was I had no money, but yeah. it's okay. I was working every night, every night at the comedy store. I was really treated well there. Yeah, and uh, I took the job, and it was a it wasn't a fun job because it was babysitting very young kids. But it was literally across the hall. And I, when I say across the hall, it's like five feet away from The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Uh, so that was kind of oh cool goodness. to be on those hallowed grounds and see all sure. these people walking around. Yeah. But it was, it, you know, it, it was good money. Uh, it was hard work. Um, and, but I did it, and it, was, it yeah. was fine. And uh, And then when I decided to move back to New York, I started getting other offers because people had heard I'd done the warm-up for that job through other warm-ups. And I warmed up a bunch of shows, little shows, like one-off shows, and then I got to warm up the Dana Carvey show, mm. which was really funny but too smart for American television, and it's it didn't last there. long. And then um, Louis C.K. was working on that show, and uh, and he started working for Letterman as a writer, and Letterman asked, you know, Is there, can you recommend a warm-up? I need a new warm-up person. Uh. And, uh, you know, a couple of people who worked at Letterman, especially Louis, had recommended me great. saying that he did the job at Carvey. I think he'll be able to do the job here. Oh, that's great. Man. And then at the same – there was a time when I was also warming up a show called Madigan Men, Madigan which was Gabriel Byrne. It was a bunch of okay. uh, three generations of Irish families living together. <laughs> the and life you've I had. would make as much – you know, you didn't make that much money at Letterman. You know, people yeah. thought I did, and I never yeah. let them know I wasn't. Sure. But I um, – <laughs> I would make the same amount of money for Madigan Men in one night that I would do for a whole week at Letterman. Oh, wow. So I would do the both of them, like sure. Monday through Thursday, Letterman, Friday, Madigan Men. So I was doing a lot of warm-up, and it was lucrative, and it was fun, and especially Letterman because I got yeah. to meet uh, a lot of my heroes and yeah. uh, work with Letterman. And, and, and how long did you do the warm-up at Letterman before you started um, doing the talent booking? There? I started in 97 at Letterman. I okay. started booking the talent in 2001. How did that come about? Was that well, that's you know, such a strange... There was a couple of people who, I, who went to Emerson College like I did who worked on the show. One I went to school yeah. with, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> Mike Goldsmith. Well, I went to school with him, and Lori Diamond, Dave's assistant, went to Emerson. Okay. So she took a liking to me, college kind of yeah, thing. sure. And she helped me get close to Dave. Okay. And I would go to the desk on every commercial break. And we started talking comedy and nice. talked about all these different things. And I ran a club and whatever. And w- so he said, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in getting, you know, Zoe Friedman, who was a great booker. Yeah, I remember uh, Ended up getting the super job at Comedy Central, had to move to L.A., and they needed a new booker. So um, they gave me, they, he, they offered me the job knowing that I knew all these comics. Wow. 
So it was good. And, you know, at, at the beginning, I, I'd asked for comics every single week because there was only like 10 or 12 comics a year on the show. Sure. And they said, no, we're going to give you one a month like we have it, and this okay. is the way it's going to go. And then the first week, um, I put Jeff Stilson on the show. He had worked for Letterman as a writer yes. and was a brilliant writer. And he did the show, and he crushed. He did really, really well. And I got I was out having a celebratory dinner. And I got a phone call. Hey, come back to the show. I'm like, oh, what did I do? And Letterman <laughs> said, and the producer said, look, that was great. We're going to give you a comic every week. Oh, wow. And for a while, you know, I had a comic every week. It was yeah. really great. Oh, that's so cool. I mean, that's that's got to be such a, an interesting dynamic, too, of trying to, you know, I, I run a club in Manhattan, and I have, for, I've always ran stuff mm-hmm. like that, but nothing, nothing at the level of a Letterman show, you know? Yeah, and you take it, you it's treat like, it the same way with the same yeah. respect of that, yeah. but the difference is, is like if you're writing for Newhart, you got to write a Newhart style. Yeah. If you're booking the Letterman show, you got to book the people that he would want to like or would he would want to see um, the kind of style, and he always yeah. had that quirky, it was, it was never really this, this, the stand-up who was just up there and telling jokes. More but how, did, how did you deal with the, you know, you know it, how it comics was weird. are? You know how well, comics are. I do. Well, <laughs> one of the reasons I quit running the Paper Moon is because yeah. I was getting phone calls. Yeah. I didn't have an office, so people call me at home. Yeah. And thousands of comedians would call me at home. Yeah. And I'd go on the road and comedians sure. like, hey, buddy, hey, yeah, friend. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I understand. You know, I, I would be them if I was yeah. them. We're all trying to get work. Yeah. yeah. And I totally understood it. And I was but very Letterman's honest another with level, them. though. But yeah. Letterman was like yeah. 10,000 comedians. Yeah. And everywhere I went around the world. So what I did was I would run showcases, uh-huh. and I would stay afterwards and talk. And I would take extensive notes, and I'd stay after and talk to all the comedians afterwards mm-hmm. about how the set either works or doesn't work for Letterman, or what they would need to do if they wanted to take it to the next level. Because that's what I would want. Yeah. But I found out just because I wanted that, not everyone wanted. Most people wanted to hear you got the show. Yeah. And when they didn't hear that, they were angry. That, sure. You know, who's this guy telling me how to put my set together? And I wasn't telling how. I was giving them, like, if you're interested, yeah. this is what the the kind of comedy that Letterman would want. Or, hey, you know, you're really a great comic. And I would respect every single comic who sure. would do it. I would get, you know, emails and videos from, uh, at the time, there were VHSs. <laughs> um, from In your mail, just and get stacks. Stacks and stacks. Oh, and God. even young comics. But I would... <laughs> I would call every one of them back yeah. and say, as a comic, I wanted the booker to watch my take. And I didn't give other people my the sets to look at. I looked at every one. Yeah. Which, in a weird way, although it was fantastic, it really helped, it hindered my career. Because now I was spending my whole life working with other comics, getting their sets together. Yeah. Like, I'd have sets going, comics that are about to go on, comics ready to go if there was a last-minute uh, cancellation. Yeah, uh, Brian Kiley was one of the guys who worked at Conan down the street, and he had a suit in his office, and Dave loved Brian Kiley, okay. who grew up with Conan, who writes for Conan. Sure, um, he would, We would have a set ready, or Mark Marin, we'd have a set ready to go, and I, they'd go, oh, this person canceled, you have a comic. Yes, Brian, uh, get your suit, get over here. Perfect. You know, and uh, that's how that would work. So, I was, and then I was working on comics for the future. Like I'd seen a lot of great comics who had what it takes to do it, but sure. they needed nurturing. They needed, you know, people like uh, Hannibal Boris and sure. uh, Kumail Nanjiani at the time, yeah. Karen Rantowski, you know, all these people I was working with over time, getting them ready for the show. So it was, re- I was really folk, I was inundated. And then also, wherever I went, 
hey, buddy, hey, best friend, hey, yeah, oh. you know, which you get again, a lot of friends, yeah, but it's okay. <laughs> again, I, I, when I was, I knew exactly what it was like, and yeah. I never made anyone feel you, bad sure, for that. Sure, you get. I it. would only the only thing I didn't like, and it was just my personal thing, yeah. was when people would just say, "Hey, here's Eddie Brill from the Letterman Show." Oh, that's the worst. You know, it's like, no, I'm Eddie Brill, and I'm your friend, and you know, we're hanging out together, yeah. comedian. Yeah, but I just they wanted to say, I knew, I know the guy from the Letterman Show, so they were trumping themselves up uh. by. And that's the only thing that irked me a little bit. But then again, I said, stop being irked. Understand it. That's, you know, like I mentioned earlier, Robert Schimmel, because he helped me. Yeah. Um, so you do have to mention people's names and sometimes, sure. you know, associates. So I, I would say <laughs> that it was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do because I had to tell friends, including Robert, yeah. who was not right for the show. Uh, yeah. the, the, the The powers that be... Uh, refu- I wanted to put him on the show, of sure. course, for what he did for me. Yeah. But I couldn't put him on. It was that was the hardest part of the whole job, was not being able to, you know, put on people that have, were good to me or friends or. And I had a, I play poker every week with all yeah, these yeah, comedians. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Some of them were not right for the show. Yeah. And I, as a professional, I'm not going to put someone on just to put them on. Sure. You know, I did that once. Did you? Yeah. Um, I put a comedian on who was very helpful to me in my young career, uh-huh. and the person did okay. Okay, but they it wasn't the best set ever on yeah. the show. Sure, and, uh, and but I was happy that I was able to do that. Yeah. But the, I was I had a talking to you know you got to put on, and that was very early I, on. I uh, I love that uh, Otto and George was on there. Yeah, that, that was great. Yeah, and that was. Uh... I was very proud of of being able to put a set together. And he was phenomenal. Yeah. They were yeah, phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a special moment. Yeah. Valentine's yeah. Day it was. Oh, was it? It was oh, Valentine's that's so Day. Funny. It was great. Yeah, they did, I think they did a couple of ventriloquists. Is that what it was? Yeah, yeah. twice a year we did ventriloquist week. Yeah. We did uh, impressionist week. Okay. Uh, magic week. And yeah. ventriloquist, I had a few that I had known. And, you know, that wasn't – we all helped with the booking for those. It sure. wasn't – my job was to take those comedians or those performers and work with their set to get. It I can't down believe to the you got out of George on. I mean, well, I that, knew that I could <laughs> that take anybody. Insane. I knew that I could yeah. take. You know, Schimmel was quote unquote X-rated comedy, but he did Conan ten times yeah. or so. You know, you could help a comic. Yeah. Uh, you know, Nick DiPaolo is a yeah. hilarious comedian, yeah. and he is not the cleanest. Well, comedian. Kennison was on there, so yeah, right, and yeah. Uh, you know. Uh, Richard Pryor did the Ed Sullivan show. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, and he wasn't the Tom quite, Jones show. I don't know if he was Richard Pryor yet. <clears throat> he wasn't. Yeah, you're right he, about that. Yeah. But when he did the Tom Jones show, which was a British show, yeah. um, Pryor was clean enough for television, yet edgy enough and smart yeah. in his sets. They were brilliant sets. Yeah. Tom I, Jones show, a lot of people don't know how they would bring on some of the edgiest music and, and comedy on there. And it, and also was they, whoever booked that, I don't know. I yeah. would love to meet that person if they're still alive to find out how they were able to get away with what they got away with. Oh, sure. There's so many like amazing. Like the Hugh Hefner show was phenomenal. Oh, Playboy After Dark. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. I, and I loved how they did it. I, they still haven't made anything that cool. I tried to. <laughs> did you? I had cre- <laughs> You know, Caroline's, I was working at Caroline's a lot in the, in the the back in the day. I did 200 shows one year just at Caroline's. Yeah. Because I used to average between five and 600 sets a year. Before wow. I worked at Letterman, I would run around the city and do 20, 20-something 20 sure. spots a week. And th- Caroline's was very generous, and I worked 200 shows one year. And I tried to put a television show together 
called Caroline's After Dark uh, and try gotcha. to make like a black and white show where oh, people are smoking oh, wow. oh, and, and bring in singers and <laughs> oh, comedians yeah, and great. all that. Yeah. And it almost happened. Okay. But uh, I still want to do it. Now someone's going to do it because they just heard us talk about <laughs> it. But I, I had created that idea for it. You know. do that. I'll be pretty soon. We, we actually, in 2008, the Gotham, uh, I approached them and we partnered together, Gotham Comedy Club. Yeah. And, and two other... Uh, uh, entities uh, to create a show in the basement at Gotham, okay. and it was a it was a, uh, a sort of you know n- fictional uh, venue where people come. They have to be invited to this place in the middle of nowhere, and you go in the basement, and comics are doing sets like Playboy After Dark, where okay. there's no mic. You know, you're yeah. holding a boom. They're just sitting around, and everyone's smoking Somebody's and drinking. Piano and, and stuff. Right, and then yeah. there was a. In addition to that, there was going to be a poker game going on in the back with oh, the okay. comics, and we were nice. talking about the industry and telling stories. Wow. And uh, it was all set to go, and the okay. mo- money was there, and everything was going, and then 2008 hit. Uh, that was the year that all – so the company, with all the money, yeah. they just – you know, they lost everything. Yeah. And that show never – you know, I had bad timing on that one. Yeah. But I tried to create shows like Playboy After Dark where it was just cool and fun and, yeah. you know – and nowadays with the political correctness – um, oh, you, you need know, something it, like that. Yeah, yeah. you really need so. to. You know, I was just with Dave Chappelle, yeah. and he had at the William Stevenson event, and he had okay. said, "Look, you know, comedy's under siege, and we need to band together and make sure that that doesn't happen." Yeah, it's it definitely comes in waves. You know, it's like I feel like, um, you know, with with the shows that were on recently, with like Crashing and I'm Dying right. Up Here and stuff like that. And I feel like that was a nice couple of years. Like comedies, yeah. everybody's into it again. And then it like all goes away. It's going to wait a couple more years and then it'll, it'll flood back probably. I couldn't believe Crashing went because what a great, incredible show. Yeah, it was, uh, it had a great like just, you know, insight to kind of that, that young kind of, you know, trying to figure comedy out thing right. that he was doing. And he, he was one of my barkers when I ran the Boston Comedy Club. Ah. So it was a him, Nate Bargatze, all right. these great comics. And so, yeah, so he was around, and he, and that's why he gave such a shout-out to Boston yeah. because that was his early days, you know, Pete Holmes, and, you know, he he's, like, barking on the corner and all that stuff. And so, yeah, I thought it was, it was definitely a good show, and it gave so many comedians an opportunity. Right. Like, you know, great. like, Greer Barnes is a great actor, but it's like, and, and like, you know, it's great. he was great that he got an opportunity, to, you know, to do, like, a show like that and showcase what he can do. Yeah. And so there's people like that that normally might get looked over, you know, got an opportunity. So yeah, that was which cool. was really great. And then I'm dying up here. It's like uh, Judy Gold. I had no idea that she could act her ass off. Yeah. Yeah, she was great in she that. She was really terrific in that. Yeah. But anyway, we'll see what happens with comedy. But I, one thing I one I, I do like about the Hugh Hefner show, Nina Simone. It yes, introduced my hero. Me to mine too. And it's phenomenal. Those scenes, like those Ugh. shots of her playing piano casually, it's, it's amazing. You know, it's funny. People will say to me, how do you – great comedians you know and i go i look for nina simone oh, wow because you know it's amazing it's like the comp it's the you know if you look at nina simone and celine dion for as an example yeah. they both have voices from god and they're just you know but the soulfulness that uh you know like to me celine dion really can hit, belt a note but she's note for note she's paint by numbers yeah. In a sense. She's not doing Alabama goddamn. Or right. Yeah. <laughs> and Nina Simone le- left yeah. it all out there. Sure. And that's yeah. what I would look for in comedians. Comedians yeah. who came from not – they weren't in their head about it. They weren't painting by numbers. They were unique. Shimmel. Original. Like that. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yes. And even though I, Shimmel was perfect, I couldn't book him 
where I wanted to. He did fine now. He yeah, his, he, was, he, his, he was okay. He had his great following, and yeah, you know, people appreciated him, and he had a kind of a Bill Hicks vibe, and people, you know, yeah. came out, and that's the thing too. That's the thing too with comics. It's like, it's like there's always this thing where people feel like they didn't make it or something. It's like, dude. D- you bought a house on comedy. You did fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, people talk about Bill Hicks. It's like, Bill Hicks probably had three houses. So he yeah. was fine. You know right. what I mean? Calm down. He yeah. made it. You know what I mean? He Don't act right. like he didn't get his He did due. what he loved. He woke yeah. up every day and did what he loved. <laughs> Absolutely. And it sold a lot of tickets and yeah. a lot of albums. So, so it's like, yeah, he did okay. You yeah. know, because people try to act like, you know, somebody didn't get to that, you know, Eddie Murphy level. But very but, few you know, do. But again, it's yeah. all about how people perceive success. If, you know, a lot of people think money is success. Sure, and I'm a perfect example of that. It's not, you know, um, because <laughs> I like I did okay. the, the yeah. Well, yeah. actually, you not, do well. I did yeah. well, but for me in my life, yeah. I've had a, a lot of tragedy in my life, yeah. and most of the money that I have went to my family to help them mm. through very very tough times. But I didn't care because I grew up very very poor. We didn't yeah. really need a lot of money. Yeah. So when when we needed money for my mom or family members who had been very ill. The money I made was great that I can use that to help other people. Sure. And I was – I should have been a little bit more selfish <laughs> with it, but I wasn't, you know. And it's interesting. Another thing, you were talking about crashing and stuff. There's parts of me that goes, you know, I don't know why I've never been asked to be on shows like that. And then I realized people look at me, you were the Letterman Booker, you know. Mm. They don't look at me, oh, you're a stand-up comic or you're an actor, yeah. which is all the things that I also am. Yeah. But they think of me – a lot of people think of me – like, I recently booked this really cool gig, and the woman said, oh, you're a comedian? I went, yeah. She says, oh, because you're booking it. And I go, I know, because I also do that. You know, you, But it's interesting, because yeah. people like to pigeonhole you into one category, and I'm... You know, I'm in six or seven categories. Yeah, you are, and it's uh, you're an amazing comedian. You know, you're an amazing producer, amazing mentor, and you know, you've done tons of television shows and written for stuff and done stuff. And uh, you know, Eddie Brill is in the building. That's who you've been listening to. This this gem of a human being uh, here on the podcast. And you know, what's very interesting. My whole <laughs> life, I've been very, it's been very hard to take compliments. Yeah, I've been really. I've had to actually go to get help. To like, so when you say all these things, normally I like if this was like five years ago, I'd be like, oh, I would shit on myself to to you know not you know, but it's it's really nice to hear. And no, I, man, I just learn how to say thank just, you. Just so you know, I had to learn how to say thank you. For, but I, I appreciate I, it. I know. can speak from the back of the room. Like right. you're a respected comedian and respected, especially somebody like me who I you know I run a club downtown, like right next to the door to the cellar. Like right. you know I'm dealing with all this chaos. I get emails every five seconds, and you know right. so I. But your level was a, a whole other thing, and just to see that you were able to kind of like you had some controversy at some point and right. whatever, and you were able to deal with all that and still kind of rise to the top and That's still the key continue. because you know the what I had learned from I had you talked to my mom about this who was my best friend uh, she had ta- told me that you know when you get to that sort of level people are going to come at you and I had that happen where yeah. you know someone came at me and completely created drama that didn't that exist. That was so ridiculous, yeah. But, you know, you just have to... And it wasn't easy to deal with because yeah. I had never dealt with that kind of level of assholiness. And, yeah. You know, but I had, you know, rose above it and here I am still standing. You know? Yeah, and, you know, what's funny is that you kind of had to take a little bit of, you know, the heat off of that in order, you know, for things to kind of change or whatever. And you right. were and you were always looking out for, you know, Juan yeah. Sykes and different female comedians and some of, you know. Yeah, my whole life. Yeah. And, I, and I know it, yeah. you know, but it's some, yeah. 
the, the, that reporter was a very irresponsible journalist. That who, happens a lot. Yeah. And they, <laughs> they wanted to create drama, and they yeah. did. And uh, the timing just was poor on it. And uh, and that's just the way it happens sometimes. Were they, and they were just basically saying that you just weren't looking for female comedians? Yeah. Or, okay. Well, th- what happened was is th- that person had asked me uh, about female comedians. And I yeah. said, well, I've recently got a couple of videos from comedians, uh, links from uh, a couple of female comics. And they were... Being, they weren't being authentic, these mm. couple of comedians. Yeah. And the same inauthenticity of these male comics that wouldn't get the show. Now, he made it sound like I was saying that all female comics were inauthentic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the fact is, is all I've been doing my yeah. whole life is... I don't think of comedians as male and female. I think of yeah. them... I understand that females don't get the respect yeah. that they deserve. Females in our society don't because... Sure. The way the society's set up is for yeah. it's a, a man's world. James Brown said it. Yeah, but, but it wouldn't, it's nothing without a, a woman. Exactly. You know? But you didn't pull a Jerry Lewis. No, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't do that. I never said. I, I never said anything that was negative about female comics. But they created it. They he yeah. created that. He out did. Of, the words for him for, yeah, his, for his for his own yeah just yeah. followers or whatever yeah just so he could get like hype off of, that's what people do yeah you know they, and at the time Letterman had some bad press about uh, yeah. a female situation yeah, yeah yeah and I was the sort of Scooter Libby that scapegoat yeah they had to get rid of some yeah yeah they and they didn't put get, it on some, yeah, not they, get rid but yeah they you know. they put it on me and 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 then and the Letterman people including Letterman apologized later yeah uh, for. Not standing up for me when the time happened, when what happened happened, and they said, "Look, you've been doing this for us for booking for eleven years, yeah." It's, and it's and most of the the people who were in charge of the Letterman Show were female, and they said, "Look, if you would have done anything like that or been that kind of person, you wouldn't have had the job for a month, much less eleven years." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so. And also, I think it's a blessing too, where it's just like you ran your course and did your thing, and I think it's like, and then you get to you get to be Eddie Brill the comedian again. Yeah. You know, you Which, g- yeah, it's a it's you a do. blessing. I, don't, I all of a sudden I went from getting thousands of emails to getting seven, <laughs> and it was really nice. But I'll never forget the people who wrote to me and said, "Look, you know, we know who you are." Yeah, and female comics and male comics, and you know. But it's just there. It, it's just it, you just learn lessons in life, sure. and you just have to continue to to rise above the people who are insecure. Uh, and who are also trying to create drama. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely, and you're definitely a guy that you know you're a good person. Like I see that, and I hate to keep complimenting you, but you know. <laughs> yeah, <it's, laughs> so, you're really testing I'm, my <laughs> my therapy see, session. But, but I'm one of these. Yeah, well, I do, I do a lot of therapy, and I'm yeah. okay, I'm okay with you know sharing good feelings to people, yeah. but uh, who deserve it, you know. But no, there's a lot of dicks in this business, yeah, so it's right. like you know, in I, every business, yeah, especially yeah. comedy though. Yeah, because <laughs> we see it because we're there. But there's a lot of amazing people. There are, there yeah, are. like Joan Rivers, who you know, David yeah. Brenner, who came helped me with my first yeah. Letterman set. I can yeah. again, like Kinnison yeah. took me in, ah. and that's why when yeah. I was in L.A. Uh, please, in let's talk about this. Yeah. Six eighty-seven. I had auditioned. Please. I had did. I did Star Search, and I recorded at the end of 1986, sort of October yeah. of 1986. Just before the the World Series, I remember that part. I was lucky to get home in time because New York was doing well and my team yeah. was the Mets and all that. But anyway, so we, uh, I do my set and it goes well. And Mitzi Shore says, you're at the Comedy Store. You're welcome to be a regular here at the oh, Comedy that's, Store. That's great. I had auditioned at the Improv the night before and they said, we love you, but you have to live here. And Mitzi said, "You can whenever you come here, this is your home. Great. So, um, and... It was January of 87, 
uh, I called the comedy store. Said, "Look, I'm going to come out for a week in January." And the bookers of the club said, "Yeah, Mitzi remembers your name, but because she sees so many comedians, she wants you to do a set on the Sunday, January twenty something. Uh, come out. Uh, she just wants to see it again, so she knows how to put you in the schedule because." If you're a clean comic and you're a host type, you'll probably go on the 8 to 9 o'clock show sure, sure. part. If you're a dirtier comic, you'll go on 11, 11.30, that kind of a thing. So I book an airplane ticket uh, for like 120 bucks in yeah. 87. Uh, <laughs> and uh, when the date comes up, it turns out it's the Super Bowl. Oh, wow. It's going to be that date in L.A. Okay. So the And the New York Giants are going to be in the Super Bowl against Denver. Oh, my goodness. So I get to the airport that morning that to take Bowl. my flight in New York at Newark to fly to Los Angeles. And there are people begging people to give up their tickets, their airplane tickets. Yeah. Guy offered me $1,000 in cash for those tickets. Now, again, that was a million dollars to me. Oh, yeah. But I had this audition for Mitzi, and it was so important. <laughs> and I'm like, well, maybe I can get a later flight because I was getting in early in the day. Okay. So I went to the airline ticket thing, and I said, here, can I switch this ticket? She goes, we are booked all day. There's a Super Bowl going. People are going to fly out for the Super Bowl. Yeah. I can't do it. And those days, you can transfer the person's name on the ticket. Uh-huh. So I could have given this guy. He would have given me 1000 in cash, transferred his name, would have given the ticket, and I would have loved to do it. I couldn't do it. I had to make a decision because yeah. I could have gone the next day, but I wouldn't have been there for the Mitzi Shore thing. Yeah. So I said, you know, fuck it. I'm just going to – I'm going to go. I'm going to go to L.A. I got to go to L.A. grand, man. All right. So I fly, <laughs> I fly to L.A. and my friend picks me up and it's early morning. But, you know, the Super Bowl is on at 6 in the East Coast, but there yeah. it's 3. So I go to a party that my friend's running uh, and there's all these people in Manhattan Beach. And you know the thing, there's the boxes. You you get pick two numbers yeah, yeah, yeah. out of the thing. Well, I – Put it twenty bucks in and blah blah blah. At the end of the day, I won a thousand dollars. I won, a th- so I got the thousand and I auditioned and I did very well. And Mitzi yeah. said, "Oh, you're very funny, and you know all this kind of stuff, and we're going to book you." So my first regular spot was Monday night at the Comedy Store. Yeah, I do my ten minute set Monday night at the Comedy Store in the late '80s was magical. Okay, not only was it the some of the best comics in the world. Um, but all like, you know, people like Roseanne would come in and Dice would come in and Carlin would come in and Pryor would wow. come in, you know, it was a pretty special night and Kinnison would close the show. Oh gosh. And, uh, so I'm, I could do my set, you know, it goes okay. And when I'm done, Alan Steven, who is Kinnison's, one of his best friends comes yeah. up to me like. Uh, the king would like to see you. I mean, he did, that, that's the that's the subtext. He, he was said, the king. Yeah. He said Sam would love to see you. And yeah. I went really. And so I go backstage to this area, and there's yeah. Sam sitting in like a throne with <laughs> these two uh, lovely uh, women and one who's his future wife. Yeah. And there, he says, "You were very funny, and I'd love you to hang out with my gang tonight." We we gonna we usually party after the show on Monday nights. Turns out they party Monday through Sunday. <laughs> and I said, "Oh my god, you know that was so cool." So yeah. I, at the end of the night, I ended up partying till the break of dawn with the Kinnison group. That's fantastic. And and then I became one. He had a group of uh, Alan Steven, Carla Bow, um, Mitchell Walters, a bunch of people that worked with him. And then there was the sort of young kid comedians, Stephen okay. Pearl. Jimmy uh, Schubert and myself, we were the sort of the younger guys okay. that he took under his wing. That's great. Larry Scarano was another guy. And so we, you know, we would, uh, you know, uh, 
what happened was is we were regulars at the comedy store, and okay. he kind of ran it in a sense. Yeah. So he took very, very good care of me and made sure that I worked every night of the week. Oh, that's great. And he couldn't have been nicer. He couldn't have been more forthcoming with advice. Uh, I became very close to his brother, Kevin, and uh, he, he became my best friend out there, and uh and Kinnison loved it, the fact that I was sort of like family. And yeah. it was just, I was really treated well by Mitzi and her family, the Shore family, sure. and uh, also uh, Kinnison. So I, I was very blessed when I went out to L.A., Things just started happening for me. It that's was really great. Nice. Yeah. No, that's phenomenal. So yeah. It's a long version to tell you how. No, I Kinnison love it. Oh, I want to hear. I want to hear know. any Kennison stories. Yeah. He, he was one of those guys that I just remember being in Texas and just not knowing anything about comedy, being like young and junior high and just playing those albums. And he was a guy that he made comedy. I mean, Pryor definitely took it to that level. But Kennison made it kind of heavy metal. Like yeah. he made it this like arena rock, and you know, and at the end of the comedy yeah, store Monday nights, he would play with. After his set, he'd bring out a band of comedians. Oh, literally, yeah. And play. And so he <laughs> yeah. had uh, he had me join the band, and I sang. Oh, that's great. I oh, yeah, sang you sing. and I that's played right. percussion yeah, yeah, in yeah. the band, and uh, it was and the little guitar, <laughs> and it was amazing. I'm on stage with Kennison, oh, and you know, I have a, a great photo so of me in cool. a. a 1980s jean jacket <laughs> and I'm singing Kinnison's right behind me playing guitar oh wow it was really great and he just couldn't have been better and then we did a lot of partying it was a lot of sure. booze and drugs and yeah. it was really fun but I never partied the day of the show but yeah. afterwards I would yeah. and it started to take an effect on me uh, I was not you know drugs were, were starting to affect people and yeah. a friend of ours had died in an accident on his motorcycle because he was so fucked up from the parties that yeah. we had the night before. Yeah. And I decided to move back to New York full time because I okay. wanted to get away from the drugs because I love comedy so much. Sure. And Kinnison was sort of angry. He says, why are you leaving us? Yeah. Uh, Please don't leave us. We have wow. this group and we're doing I go, look, I have to yeah. in order to continue what I'm doing. And we had a thing and he said, no worries. Go, you know, I'll give you my blessing. Because he really ran everything. It was yeah. funny how <laughs> he was really running the show. So He was just I, so popular. I went, I went back to New York and I would get phone calls every once in a while. Hey, I got a gig for you. Oh, um, wow. And so there was one gig at a place called Shooting Stars in Yonkers. Okay. And I worked with uh, Otto and George okay. uh, in that show. And the guy at the end, I, he said, the, this is the gig and you please come out. So I go there. At the end of the night, the guy pays me like $1,200 in cash. Yeah. I had never made that kind of money. Yeah. And I said, thank you so much. <laughs> and he said, uh, I said, how did I get the gig? He says, well, you know, Kinnison called us and told us to book you. Oh. That's so awesome. that's what he would do for me. Yeah. Like even after I left, he had contacted people and said, Eddie Brill's on the East Coast. Make sure he works. That's awesome. Yeah. I was very blessed. That's such a beautiful thing because I, I never got to meet him or anything, but I, I read his books and yeah. all his stuff and all his specials, documentaries. And, you know, you when you're drawn to somebody, you feel that they're good people. And, like, that's a, one. That's another guy that just got ridiculous press and people yeah. would attack you know, the material as opposed to, you know, what kind of person he was. Right. And, you know, I'd always heard stories. And, you know, Mark Marin I hung out with, you know, when I first started and stuff. And he was kind of the older comic. And he would tell me crazy Kennison stories. Yeah, because Mark and yeah. uh, Ned, who turned out yeah. to be, uh, what's his face? Oh, his name just, uh, Carlos. Uh, Mancia? Uh, yeah, Carlos oh, Mancia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the two of those guys were doormen at the comedy store oh, at I the time. Know, I didn't know the both. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And, uh but they both wanted to do stand-up. Yeah. And the next generation after Schubert, uh, Pearl, and myself, 
uh, was Marin and those guys, and they were starting to get work now at the comedy yeah. store. And then Kinison took them under their, ah, yeah, their wing and made sure they got work. And uh, there was a lot of people yeah. who, who actually got work. Tamayo Atsuki from yeah, yeah. Japan, she got an incredible amount of work from Sam. And, you know, Felicia uh, Michaels yeah. was working the comedy store back then. It was a really good time. And yeah. the other great part is, like, one night I, I'm on stage in the original room, they called it at the comedy store, and I got a note, when you're done, bring up Richard Pryor. Oh, my gosh. I know. I, so I, I went, good night. <laughs> I, mean, I didn't know. I couldn't talk. I, I couldn't do my act anymore. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty great. So you brought up Richard? That's great. Yeah. Uh, that was one of the coolest. And he was like, nah, we're very funny. I can't do a prior act. Yeah. Was he, was he healthy at this time? Um, not as healthy. Okay. But uh, he was hilarious. And, yeah. So and funny. brilliant. And walking and, you know. Oh, he was. Okay. Yeah. Good. At that time. Yeah. That was. Yeah. That's. That's another person that I remember watching him as a young comic, and I was like, you know what? You know, I guess it is okay to share those dark things about your life. Yeah. And it's okay to you know be vulnerable and like. That's the key. That's yeah. the key word. It's just you know watching him just in those early specials, and even watching one of them where he he has a rough set. It's like yeah. it, it's at the improv or something, and there's like a pie chart, a pie menu behind him. I think it's up in smoke or something. Richard yeah, Pryor. I remember there was it's one a, of the specials. It's a weird one. And the second night, well, he did better. It was like the first night he bom- kind of bombed. Yeah, it. but it's like first time he said the n word. I think is that was the that was the thing they were saying. Like it was like the first time he had said that, and it was like a big deal. But mm-hmm. you know, probably the wrong crowd for it. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, but just watching somebody at that you know level of talent like deal with a bad situation is always you know, good i i learned something uh just not long ago doing a podcast that, out of finland oh wow um <laughs> doing it not live like yeah. this but doing it over the internet um the name of the podcast was we're not here to please you okay and i thought what a great name and it was yeah. really fun to do i've done it a yeah. bunch of times and i've talked about it a bunch not only because i like the energy behind the people running it but the whole idea of uh, in comedy that i learned the big lesson i've learned the last bunch of years is i'm not here to please you yeah i'm here to do what makes me the happiest and if it pleases you that's fantastic sure you know there's a certain you know financial gain with pleasing audiences like i'm going to hire you for this party i need you to please the audience yeah. and that you're willing to make the money to do what it takes to, to please people yeah. as, as you do with advertising or whatever but it's a comic um, I find myself with that attitude of like, I'm not here to please you. You might not like this joke or you might not like this thing I'm talking about. Yeah. But I'm not here. My job isn't to please you. My job is to do what pleases me. And yeah. hopefully you'll be pleased by it. And I've and even not knowing you that well and not really working with you that much. I've seen you evolve like that i feel like like when i first saw you it was like perfect comedian right you know bam 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 a b c d and now i see you taking more risks and like you know having a little looser vibe on stage yeah when i first went to london to work in 1989 the comics came up to me and said you know you're so tight your set is so tight we've never seen that yeah you know we've only we're we're kind of looser vibe here and um but we really admire really a good tight set uh, and I took pride in that. Yeah. But as I got older, I don't. I could still do a tight set if I have to put sure. one together. Yeah. But I like to be able to be. Lo- I like the idea of being able to be loose enough to be able to play. Absolutely. And and not fuck up the show. You have to. Yeah. Sometimes people will be so loose that they'll ruin it for the comic that goes that follows them. Yeah. 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 But but no, I, don't, I think you're impossible. 
for you to do that. You know what I mean? Like you're also one of these guys that like even as loose as you are, you still got a closer. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, still, yeah, yeah, right. I do. I do. I'm ready. <laughs> like you're still ready to crush that crowd. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, it's uh, it's so cool to, you know, get to talk to you like this. And, you know, I've always wanted to talk to you like in a comedy, you know, I just love comedy conversations you know what i mean yeah, i love me too. I, i'm I a love big it. nerd i love all the kind of, i've read all the biographies like i love it all yeah i remember i remember when we met uh is it a book signing and i never got to work with carlin but i remember we we waited around he signed our book and there was a bunch of comedians with us and and we just asked him we were like you know it's like a lot of times people tell us to be censored and if you want to be clean to get on tv right. and then i remember him just saying he's like nah just just poke him in the eye you know just yeah. poke him in the eye and keep poking you know like don't don't listen to that bullshit and like right. i remember that kind of changed everything for he us he changed my life you know oh. when i saw him on the tonight show with johnny carson yeah it was like oh i found someone who i think this is the way i think and oh, yeah. changed my life and the coolest things about my life is that I became close to him. Oh, that's awesome. And the, to the, your hero to become oh, close to. That's phenomenal. He actually called me uh, and said, I want you to teach my girlfriend to do stand-up. Oh, my gosh. And I go, what are you talking about? You're George Carlin. <laughs> he goes, well, yeah, but that's, she's not going to listen to me. Because, you know. And he said, I, you know, he said really nice things. But the greatest compliment I ever found out about through somebody else, there was a gig in Vegas. And it was old comics and new comics. Yeah. And the old comics were like Pat Cooper and Norm Crosby and... Uh, Jack Carter and that, and the yeah. young comics were me, and they, we were not so young anymore. But it was uh, uh, Jeff Altman and uh, a few John Mulroney, and it was so Carlin was sitting in the audience for this show. Wow! And friends of mine were in Phenomenal. the booth next to him. Phenomenal! And so Carlin, uh, they announced me, and Carlin's friends are talking, and Carlin yell tells his friends. Shut up! I want this. I love this guy. He's one of my favorites. So shut wow. up. Wow. My friends heard that. Wow. And that that I that's you know, better than any credit yeah, you could ever anything have. That TV, has, that has anything ever happened in nothing. my life. Yeah, that's there are it. people who that's said it. I don't like your act. There are people comics who <laughs> yeah. said you know what you do. I go. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> I'm not here to please you, George Car. But George Carlin liked me and said. And then I met him. And he when I met him, that's he said, great. "Me and my brother watch your show, and we just." Please let us know whenever you're on because we really enjoy what you do. Oh, that's and then, great. you know, you know, like, you know, it's like, all right, I'm all set. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. I, I miss not seeing him live. I, yeah. I used to go to the Beacon every time mm. he was there. And I, I remember walking out a better comedian because I yes. would watch him, you know, craft things. Because I, I always want to talk about religion. I always want to talk about edgy things. And he was able to just, the, the craftsmanship, the maestro that he was, yes. was phenomenal to watch that. I saw him walk people in Vegas one time because yeah. he was doing religious material. And they were like, walking. He's like, he goes, who comes to George Collin and not know what the fuck I do? Get yeah. out of here. Yeah. Get out of here. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, I, I asked him, I said, how can, I want to talk about religion, but I don't yeah. know how to do it. He says, just talk about it. Yeah. He says, but he said... Uh, make it about your perceptions and yeah. don't don't shit on people for their perceptions. Interesting. Make it about yeah. how the, you know what's your perception of it, yeah. and they can't argue with that because they can't argue, they can't say you're wrong. Yeah. If, if it's your perception. And oh he yeah. Told me that. Oh, that's yeah. a beautiful thing. I just learned something again from Carlin through yeah. you. Yeah. That's how it works. Thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, you want to plug anything? Uh, your Twitter. When does this come out? This will come oh, Twitter, out. Is, um, yeah, we dates too. You got uh, dates? Eddie underscore Brill. Okay, we'll uh, probably do you next week. So oh, okay. Uh, you got any yeah, gigs? I'm, I'm, I'm going to be in West Palm Beach Improv soon. Uh, 
Yeah, I got a lot of things coming up. Uh, a ton of really great things. And uh, at the I'm working Woodstock, on... right? Woodstock. Woodstock. We. I don't know if we're going to do this year because oh, okay. the guy who the main guy at the Woodstock thing is a little ill, and we're hopefully he'll be healthy. Okay. So we're praying that he's healthy because he's a great guy. Yeah. And then we, but we raised a lot of money for the women's shelter up there, and that's the main reason. We're oh, that's the great. Woodstock thing. So we really would like to do that again. Um, but I have a, a two major projects. I won't mention them now, so that when they happen. You know, helping comics is – I've always been there to try yes, to help comics. Absolutely. And there's two major projects that are coming up. I'm working okay. on a book. I've written 320 stories. Oh, that's great. For a book. So I got a lot. It's very exciting. I got about seven things in the I could listen to you all day. I really could. I appreciate that. I, I could that. do the Eddie I had Real a lot podcast. of fun. Yeah. It was, it <laughs> so was really good. nice. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much, guys, for listening to us. Please go to our Patreon page. I'll leave you with this. And I follow us on Twitter at leave you this. And uh, you can also, if you're – I also uh, coach people in stand-up comedy. So you can go to Outlaw Comedy Coaching on Facebook. Uh, we'll we'll kind of walk you through this beautiful craft we call stand-up comedy, and uh, you can have these great stories, too. And uh, thank you so much for listening in, and uh, go to our Patreon page, please. Uh, we have some great extras on there and uh, you, you some hell gig stories and things like that. So thank you so much, and bye-bye. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.